before we get started this week, we have a new review to shout out. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, you will get your very own Badass Lady Meter rating. <laughs> this is in beta. <laughs> we are only covering reviews left on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store right now, although we love all of our international listeners so much. This review was left by number one butter pie fan, best iTunes username I could ever imagine. And your rating is a bespoke butter pie shop opening right around the corner from your house. Butter pies all day and all night. Thanks so much. And now the episode. Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Weird Sisters by Terry Pratchett. We're back to the T. Pratch. Sir Terry, this is technically not a YA book, but it is personally YA because when I was a YA, I read and loved this book. <laughs> when I was so a YA. It, <laughs> if you look at our catalog, you'll see that there are quite a few books that fit this category, but that's because it's our podcast. And here <laughs> yeah, we, we do like what to we want. nice and egocentric. We are redefining the genre to fit our personal needs. And I, it's not... This well, is also totally acceptable as YA right. literature. It, yeah. And there's some, like, there's a few bits that like dirty jokes that YAers might kind of go over their heads, but there's nothing well, that's right. like and really inappropriate. Totally. I maintain that the Discworld books largely can be read by a pretty broad age range. Yeah. You just get different things out of them depending on right. how experienced you are with fantasy literature. Yeah. And then they're, but then they're so referential in so many other ways too, that I feel like, there are, when you're a kid reading the Discworld books, it's so fun because when you do figure out a joke, you're like, yeah. Now I'm in I on know it. it. I'm smart. We're together hanging out. <laughs> this is so fun. <laughs> I just love, I just love Discworld so much. Yeah. And it's been, it's been quite a while since we covered a Terry Pratchett book. This book was published in 1988. It is the sixth Discworld book, and it's the second book in the Witches sub-series, because within Discworld, there are series that are grouped around particular characters, and the first of the witch books is Equal Rights, which has Granny Weatherwax in it okay. as the protagonist, essentially. So the and witches here we get were... a wonderful trio of leads, which yeah. I just love so much. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to choose my badass lady, except I know who's my badass lady. You know, <laughs> the, the great thing to have a glut of badass ladies yeah. is, is, never, is never a problem. Yeah. Truly. That's interesting to know that the witches featured um, so much in his earlier writings, because I know that he wrote dozens and dozens of books in, in Discworld. Um, but it also makes a lot of sense because they are kind of a fundamental part of the Discworld mythos. 
Yes, the I think establishing the two like primary magical schools and powers. And when I say schools, I don't mean literal schools because there is no witch school. Right. There is a wizard school. So establishing the wizards and the witches early on, I think is really important for the direction that Discworld goes in. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, This book is the first Discworld book that's really beginning to establish what Terry would go on to do with these books, which is like laying down at the foundations of how the different kingdoms interact with one another, how the different like groups interact with one another Mm -hmm. and the different races, um, like a higher level skewering of social structures and politics and bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Um, But then at the same time, so many like gentle winking jokes about the characters that fill those systems. Like I reading this book, I was just thinking a lot about how Terry Pratchett has this very special brand of kind satire. Yes. Um, where he's really never cruel. Um, That's a and good he can point. Be cu- he can be cutting, definitely. Um, but but there's really, there's really, with the exception of like outright villains, like the Duchess, for example, right. who I do um, want to talk about later. Pretty, pretty um, unsympathetic. Yes. Um, pretty one note. Uh, he he just really finds shades in everyone, and he's very forgiving of his characters, even when they're pretty unlikable. Yeah, like Rincewind. Thankfully, he's not in this book. Yeah, Mom hates Rincewind. <laughs> yeah, I, I like he's just he's not for me either. But like, yeah, I, I don't, don't care about him either. <laughs> oh, right, hate him. Hi, Mom. Hi, yeah. Hello. Your your hatred of Rincewind is valid. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover, so if you haven't read this one before, run along, check it out. There is a magnificent audiobook. The book is narrated by Indira Varma, and then Peter Serafinowicz, sorry about the pronunciation, narrates the actual dialogue of the male characters, right? Isn't that where he came in? And then... And then Bill Nye does the uh, appendix um, or the footnotes. Yeah, the footnotes. It took me a and sec to realize what was happening there in the audiobook. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, as a longtime Terry Pratchett reader, this is this is really the first time that I've like spent any substantial amount of time with an audiobook of his because as we all together continue on Grace's audiobook journey, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> better and better at listening to them and this one I just really adored I was wondering how they'd handle the footnotes but having a separate voice actor come in and also the little like music that plays at the beginning and end of each one um, I thought was really funny and Indira Varma did an amazing job especially with all of the dialogue that is the three witches yeah, talking to each really, other it was really really good 
she differentiated just incredibly well. And I, I've always thought a Discworld book would be tough in audio, not just because of the footnotes, but because of how much dialogue there is mm-hmm. and then how quickly, because Terry doesn't really use chapters there. He just cuts from section to section yeah. very quickly. And you, you get a lot of knowledge just from seeing the, the paragraph separated on the page from the previous section. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I was very impressed. Highly recommend. Yeah, yeah no, it there's, definitely... There's an ebook too. This one's easy to easy to track down, unlike yeah. some of our recent um, episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Magic Spawn was a tough one. <laughs> oh, but such a good book. But worth it. So worth such it. Such a good book. Longtime listeners will know that Terry Pratchett was brought into our collective lives and our mom's oh. life as well um, when my... One of my camp counselors at camp when I was a kid um, gave me a bunch of his paper books. He was from Scotland and was, you know, clearly on a one-person mission to spread the gospel of Terry Terry to the U.S. And he did it. And this was not among the initial books that he gave me. He gave me like the first, well, maybe the first five, um, because I know I had Color of Magic, um, equal rights, uh, Mort. Anyway, this one we didn't get a copy of until we started purchasing our own Pratchett. So the edition that I, that we, I just feel like Terry Pratchett is such a shared thing in our family, mm-hmm. had, um, was a 2001, I believe, Harper edition. I don't have it with me. I cannot check it's really hard to get cover artist information on the internet for specific editions, unfortunately. Oh. And we're going to look at both the edition that I had as a, a, a YA and also the cover of the audiobook because I think it is a rather good one. And as you know, I am obsessed with the bizarre ways in which audiobook covers are designed. Yeah, and this, this one's actually one of the better audiobook covers I think I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, the original copy it is it has a black uh, bar like towards the binding, and otherwise is purple. Uh, and in the black bar, which is like fading from purple to black, there's like little broomsticks like going down, which <laughs> yeah. which I like. Uh, yeah. And it, there's like block text on all of Terry Pratchett's books. It his name is always like. Terry Pratchett. It's always the <laughs> biggest words on the cover, which I get because if you know him at all, that like that's the people that they're trying to find because then those people be yeah. like, yes, buy this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it just says, oh, Terry Pratchett, author of snuff. And then the Washington Post book world says, superb, in all caps, <laughs> period. <laughs> And I like the the text that they use for the Weird Sisters title, mm-hmm. too, because um, it's, like, you know, kind of fun. It definitely looks witchy. Uh, and then These fonts are consistent across all of the Discworld books published by this uh, publisher. Okay, yep. okay. Well, I mean, they're good fonts. I've, I like mm-hmm. them. Um, and then the center, the central graphic on this cover is a... 
a black cauldron with a roaring orange yellow fire underneath. And then we have sparkles coming out the top of the cauldron, uh, kind of like the spell is being completed or whatever. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. sparkly sounds, tinkling, whoosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's three black uh, traditional witches' hats uh, hovering over the cauldron. So it's more... It's evocative of mm-hmm. witches cooking, uh, rather witches brew, witches cooking, witches brew, rather than depicting <laughs> it um, altogether. Yes. It's I I think that this is a cohesive uh, and uh, like pretty good cover. It's not my favorite style. I prefer mm-hmm. uh, more of like an illustrated drawing type feel. Um, yeah, these covers are all they minimalist. Really use, they use symbolism, yeah. and rather than portraying an event from the book or a character, typically um, most of them will center around one or two symbols related to like both the books kind of, but then also really just the title. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking of Masquerade that um, where it has a silhouetted white, like ball mask on the front. Okay, But I think they're very like pop art kind of focused where it's like, we're telling you this book is a winking and funny. Like you can tell that there's, you know, nods being made to traditional fantasy, but it's being done in this like, sleeker like broad audience appeal way Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and then also I think part of the reason they do this is because they have so many Discworld books to incorporate like put into this sort of branding Um, and they're taking up a lot of the cover with text Mm -hmm. (laughs) not a lot of room left for a graphic element yeah Um, and so this is a nice way to make these additions consistent with one another and this is just like so 2001 book cover to me definitely um, yeah it looks like it should be in an airport bookstore it's yes like, hey you you got a few hours like let's have some fun together <laughs> yeah yeah airport bookstore <laughs> that's usually what the whole bag of uh, starburst says to me I see. Yeah, we we do have different areas of focus in airport stores. Yeah. It's true. Although, you know what we share? McFlurry. McDonald's ice cream. Yeah, I usually get a McFlurry when I fly. I learned it from Grace. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I well, and sometimes I'll get the the little hot fudge sundae depending on my mood. But either way, it's McDonald's ice cream. I That's have, what I want. I've been getting that at my local McDonald's because it's more customizable. Because you can get the fudge, the caramel, and Oreo. Whereas with a McFlurry, oh. you just have to choose one item. One, one I've added. never leveled up no. in that way. Well, we're, I, ju- I just get the Sunday as is, um, as I have been doing yeah, since I was a teenager. And I, I do want to also stipulate, not that I'm shaming anyone who goes to McDonald's, but this is the only time I get McDonald's when I'm at the airport and I'm getting ice cream. I, d- I do have a, a McDouble <laughs> now and again. <laughs> I'll be honest. That's okay too. That's okay too. 
So do you want to also touch on the audiobook cover? Yeah, um, it's funny because... This is the Penguin edition. There's a big old Penguin. Oh yeah, I look at the Penguin. Um, when Grace sent me the first cover, I recognized it from like sitting in Grace's room or my mom's room growing up. Um, but I actually really liked the audiobook cover, um, which I don't... That's not usually how it goes. Uh, but it is, it's got like a, a green, um, what do you call it? Filter. (laughs) And there is clearly some like great magic going on. There's white, uh, and yellow spikes coming out and you could see like the tip of the crown at the top. The Ram tops. like the the green filter i think makes it seem more like you know magical spooky stuff is going on mm-hmm. uh and then in the foreground there's a lot of people like shielding their eyes as if like from the light and there's the fool over to the side looking like a scarecrow he's <laughs> just like a little figure standing up there and then you can see the witches in the middle are the ones like actively engaging with the force uh mm-hmm. and uh, off to the side maybe like the dwarf maybe tom john i mean tom john's got to be in there but everyone's in shadow and we're looking at them from the back so impossible to say but you can clearly tell that these are the characters of the book um and not just from the fool who is easily the most obvious yeah. and he's he's also the only one facing us which Maybe makes sense. He does become king yeah. by the end of the book. Um, but you you can tell from the witches that on the right is Magrat, in the center is Granny Weatherwax, and on the left is Nanny Og. Yeah. Um, just by these really small characterizations. Mm-hmm. Rare for an audiobook cover. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah. So for fantasy, I should say, <laughs> you want to hear me rant about that for an hour, put out a couple episodes special on episodes. that I did by myself last year. <laughs> so check them out. So now we will get into, uh, I'm going to keep it pretty bl- brief. Um, Terry Pratchett plots are always tough <laughs> uh, because there's constant cutting from one group of characters to another. There are often metaphysical things going on that you can't quite explain. There's typically some kind of world-ending event threatening on the horizon. This book is actually smaller scale than a lot of Discworld books yeah. in terms of the the threat, the antagonist, the like level of chaos is just lower, which is a funny thing to say because the witches literally move a huge chunk of society 15 years space time forward <laughs> yeah. in time weird sisters centers around the titular weird sisters granny weatherwax nanny og and magret garlic they are three witches of varying age wisdom experience sentiment toward mankind and they are meeting just like in the opening of macbeth 
at their little witchy summit around a cauldron. Yeah, lots of Macbeth references in this book. Macbeth, Hamlet, yeah. and King Lear yeah. all feature very specifically very and prominently. Yeah. yeah, which makes sense because yeah. this book is about the theater. Yep. The witches are just having their regular meeting. They're kind of forced to do it by Magrat, who is the youngest of them and is very interested in being a sort of like... I don't want to say stereotypical witch, but she wants to hold to the traditions and she feels like they should all be like looking a little more occult um, and that they have to have a coven and like the cauldron needs to be lit and that this is all very important for the sanctity of the thing. Whereas Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og have both been around a lot longer Nanny has really, um, she has really lived life to the fullest in that she has had a bunch of marriages, so many children that they're part of the Ram Tops, like almost everyone's related to her in some way, like through marriage or birth. She made her Um, own clan. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then Granny Weatherwax is the like de facto leader because she has the most... I mean, I don't really want to say power because power is a complicated concept. It's something that's really like shared between all of the witches. It's Mm -hmm. very communal, but she definitely has the most logical approach to how to resolve problems. And she, and she has the most gravitas. Yes. (laughs) And, and I mean, she, she has the most experience with solving problems Mm -hmm. as a witch. Okay. Yeah, I'll just put it that way. Meanwhile, the kingdom that they live in, Lanker, which is in the Ramtop Mountains, it's a small kingdom, it's remote, not a ton going on there until now because the king has been murdered by the duke stabby stab. so that he can take his stabby stab <laughs> so that he can take his place as he has been persuaded to do so by his mean wife, the Duchess, because ladies are just the worst. (laughs) Let me tell you. It's like a trench bowl kind of figure. Yeah. The king who got murdered is stuck there as a ghost because he wasn't ready to go. He doesn't feel like he can pass on, and he's also really bored haunting the castle. And and death. So he decides... Death makes his first of uh, two, three cameos in this book at this point because he like mm-hmm. comes to tell him that he's become a ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not really offer much advice beyond that, although the king is trying really hard. Um, I- and Death looks at him and is like, oh, yeah, you're not done. But then is like, okay, bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> Have fun with your unfinished business. <laughs> So the the king has a baby, and a servant from the castle saves the baby and hands it over to the witches. And they're like, "Okay, I really don't want to raise a baby right now." So they give the baby to some traveling theater, like a traveling theater group, mm-hmm. um, and the man and woman who are running it don't have any children and have always wanted to, but haven't been able to have one. So they name him Tom John. (laughs) Um, 
give him over because they can't agree like on his name so tom john which is i I do love the name tom john yeah it's a perfect name for a mummer Mm -hmm. i'm tom john Mm. it's perfect for a very talented actor as we find out later yeah they accidentally give him gifts that or purposefully give him gifts that will lead to him being an excellent actor (laughs) yes so a some time passes and the Duke is really not enjoying being king. He hates the kingdom. He thinks it's very wet and cold and difficult. And he doesn't want to follow in like the typical monarch's path. He like alternates between wanting to basically just like get rid of everyone <laughs> so that he doesn't have to deal with the kingdom and its inhabitants being unhappy with him as a ruler. Um, And then also just descending into madness because he is haunted by his murder of the king. And it's all he can think about. And then the king's ghost is also literally haunting the castle. So that's not helping either. Putting salt in his his porridge. Salt in his <laughs> porridge, um, and just generally, you know, bothering him to the best of his ability. He's not the best ghost, though. Yeah. <laughs> He's not able to do too much. What he does do is lure Nanny Og's cat into a room and trap it in there so that the witches will be forced to come to the castle mm-hmm. because the king is like, I seem to have a feeling that a witch could help me mm-hmm. with all this. Yeah. The witches are like temporarily imprisoned. There's an incredibly funny scene where Nanny Og is just like really curious about all the torture implements and like really enjoying herself. <laughs> amazing. What's, what's um, her cat's name? Grebo. 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 I, yep. What a fantastic name for a cat. Through trapping Grebo so that Nanny will come get him. The king is connected with the witches and he kind of lays out the situation and the witches are realizing too that there's a lot of unrest in the kingdom and the duke is also really invested in turning the populace against the witches Mm -hmm. because he thinks that they know that he killed the king and they do because it's pretty obvious. The Duke also is in constant in the constant company of the fool, mm-hmm. the royal fool, who witnessed him murder the king. Mm-hmm. And because of this, he feels like he needs to keep the fool really close. He basically makes him like an advisor. I mean, the fool is actually acting as king mm-hmm. because he gives him everything that he should be doing doing things like chopping down a forest and calling it um agricultural improvement uh and salting the earth is environmental measures <laughs> like really great stuff great commentary on government and it's it's interesting because the fool is the first uh card of the major arcana in tarot because he symbolizes the beginning of the journey um, mm-hmm. So I just like thought that was an interesting parallel because he does end up as the king by the end, but he starts out as the fool. Yes, and he's a reluctant fool, which is also very interesting. Everything that we get about the fool's guild and fool school and yeah. how like brutal and unforgiving and violent it is, and like you're not 
You're not allowed to create your own jokes. Instead, you have to memorize the numbered, approved fool jokes that have been like carved out throughout time. And he's actually very, very smart. <laughs> and he's constantly saying things like, Nay, Uncle Terry, <laughs> prithee, because he's just trying to hide in the fool's mask. So the fool is helping the king try to um, like create propaganda against the witches. Because at the same time, he has met Magrat and he is falling in love with her. Yeah. And the two of them have a very awkward, funny romance. Um, so he's like, he's pretending to help the king, but he's secretly helping the witches Mm -hmm. and kind of going between the two groups to try to get this fixed. So the witches are, the witches are frustrated. The people of the kingdom are frustrated. The king is like just doing a bad, a really bad job and also is clearly insane. At home, she's gratering his hands because he sees blood on them. (laughs) The witches realize that they have to move the kingdom forward in time so that the uh, Tom John will grow up and be able to actually take the throne. They do that. (laughs) It's, you know, complicated. The kind of like (laughs) metaphysical messing around with that we see in Terry Pratchett books. Yes, and made so much funnier by the fact that the witches are constantly like, well, Nanny and Granny are saying, we can't meddle. Like, we can't meddle in men's affairs. And the Magrat's like, you're literally moving the entire kingdom forward in time so that a specific person can become yeah, king. seems like meddling. How is that not meddling? Yeah. And there's a really good line when Magrat's like, so it's basically like taking a vow not to swim, but then when you're trapped in the ocean, you're going to save yourself. And they're like you can't die i mean come on (laughs) so it's like this perfect cycle of like we have to help because we're too involved but we are too involved because we put ourselves there but then that gets into the larger like well we're also witches and we are inevitably at the center of the things that Mm -hmm. happen whether we like it or not yeah you don't choose to be a witch it chooses you The kingdom has been moved forward in time, and Tom John is the lead actor in the traveling troupe, and he works closely with with Huell, who is creating plays for them to put on. Huell, like, is Shakespeare here. And the fool comes to Ankh-Morpork, where they are... I think that's where they're centered. Like that's where they go out on their traveling acts from. And that's where, oh yeah, that's where their theater is. They're building a new theater, a new disc, which is also a play on the Globe Theater in London. And the fool is sent by the Duke to have them put together a play that rewrites everything that's happened and basically says the witches are really bad and the duke didn't kill the king and he's an amazing ruler and he just wants to do this because i mean for one just to make his day-to-day easier and like have some large-scale propaganda for the kingdom's inhabitants but also because he wants to be remembered as a good king and a kind king and he's like i'm not actually going to do that so let's just make it seem like I yeah was. yeah he chooses <laughs> propaganda 
yeah, everything is like layer upon layer of, um, like reality and fiction. And Mm -hmm. so it's all very much a commentary on like how writing stories about history actually changes it because which one do you remember the thing that really happened or the one that was like jammed down your throats over and over again especially by the time that no one's alive who was there then Mm -hmm. it literally the reality is what's written in the book as far as like how like public opinion and understanding goes exactly so Uh oh So the fool brings this story that they're supposed to put into a play and that Huell has to write. Um, And he writes it, but he feels like it's not perfect. And he's thinking more about how words have power and like, what are the words telling him? Huell is constantly struck by inspirations and he's writing, scribbling out like pieces of dialogue and then casting them aside. And Tom John picks them up and looks at them. And some of them are explicitly conversations being had between the witches in this book. Some of them are like rewritten, rewritten excerpts from Macbeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Like it's just yeah. all over the place. He's clearly connected to a, a higher playwriting power. The traveling theater company is makes good on their promise to the Duke, the King. He gives them enough money for them to finish rebuilding their theater and even purchase a wave machine, which they've been very excited to get. It's so funny because I... Yeah, I have a theater background. And as they were saying wave machine, I know exactly what they're talking about. They're talking about something that you put upstage that's simulating the ocean for scenes at sea. So it's typically, you know, some kind of moving pieces of fabric oh, or okay. wood. Okay. Um, not not like I, a wave machine in a like amusement park type. Right. Deal. I couldn't stop thinking about water parks. Yeah. <laughs> a wave machine that you stand in and waves splash over you. Waves filled with pee. <laughs> So they're getting they're getting the linker, but Huel especially is still like, oh, it's not perfect, and he is a genius, and he has to get it just right. So the everyone comes to see the play. The witches come too. They are watching it and getting angrier and angrier because it's portraying them as being like meddlers, which they are, but which they don't want to be. And as being, you know, very negative and like bringing harm to the kingdom. Yeah. Kind of evil. Yeah. And the, the Duke as the rightful King and like a great hero. The witches make the actors forget their lines, which isn't too hard because the play is already being really twisty. The words are trying to work themselves it's out kind of correctly. A yeah. The the play itself is trying to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Like it has it has taken on a life of its own and is trying to rewrite the script during its performance. Yeah. Um so every everyone's super confused. Like they're just standing on stage. There's an amazing moment where he always described as uttering the stage manager's traditional scream of rage, <laughs> oh, which just fair. took me back to so many productions that I have fair. been a part of. 
<laughs> yeah, I was I was prop master for a few shows, and um, oh my gosh, <laughs> and just him constantly running to the curtain and angrily like scream, whispering the next line because no one can remember it. Yeah, at some point in the during the play, the actual actors playing the three witches um, also get arrested and put in the dungeon. <laughs> and then the three real witches come on stage and begin acting as the witches. Yeah, and then the Duke flips so just out. like total chaos. <laughs> and the witches are being like really goofy um, on stage. And they're also clustered around the cauldron being like, look, the flame's not even real. Yeah. Um, and one of them was just like sitting with their arms folded, glaring at the king. And it's, <laughs> it's just really, really silly. And meanwhile, the people in the play begin actually showing how the king was really murdered. So the Duke is like, you're treasoning me. And he gets on stage with a, he steals a dagger. He stabs a bunch of people (laughs) and they all think that they've really been stabbed. (laughs) But then they're like, oh, no pain. It must be because I'm dead. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. oh, because it's a stage knife. Yes. It's a retracting dagger. Yes. <laughs> the Duke also stabs himself and then thinks he's a ghost yep. and puts on a sheet and like wanders around making ghost noises. And death is it's just, just total pandemonium. And by this point, death has shown up to play himself <laughs> in the play. <laughs> Because the guy who is supposed to be playing Death is like, I could never do it. I don't have the gravitas. So Death gets on stage and also experiences stage fright and forgets his lines. It's amazing. Literal death. And he ends up just following the Duke around being like, you're not dead. You're not dead. Because the Duke has... But you are about to be dead. Right. Which is why I was called here. Yeah. And then the Duke falls off of the battlements. Mm -hmm of the castle while wearing a sheet and pretending to be a ghost (laughs) and then he becomes an actual ghost the duchess meanwhile does escape after it becomes clear that the tide has turned they are being cast out of rule but then the animals of the forest who are so angry that they've been like burning and raising the land mm-hmm. um, gather and murder her yep. as she tries to escape. Group it's animal murder. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty um, validating. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that. Yeah. So at that point, the witches are like, Tom John is the actual rightful king. He is the king's son. Mm -hmm. But Tom John is like, I don't want to do that. And I'm an extremely talented actor. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Throughout the book, he has been fully swaying anyone he comes across who he needs to just by performing monologues. Like, he's that good. Acting. Acting. (laughs) So it's only right that he continue in that vein. So instead... Granny is like, well, the fool is also the king's son. And everyone's like, whoa. And they decide that the fool should be king. And this happens kind of off page. Um, we don't even really yeah, see it. I was kind but of confused. The book, this is, and Terry loves doing this for like a very important plot moment. Mm-hmm. It isn't really outlined. Yeah. Like it's kind of just figured out by the characters. 
Um, and we've seen throughout the book that the fool knows how to rule a kingdom mm-hmm. um, and has a brilliant political and um, like social structure mind. Mm-hmm. So the fool is put in place as king, and Tom John decides to continue on with the theater. And Magrat and uh, the fool, who never, he never has another name, right? I don't think so. He's crowned as King Varence the second, right. so his father's name. Um, but yeah, the Magrat and the fool like have still been in a relationship. It's a little confusing how they end up. The fool does come to her cottage at the end yeah. as king, the king fool, um, but then just like falls asleep by her fire. <laughs> so that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's the end of the book. Um, and don't we find out that the king is actually neither of their fathers? It's it's the fool's dad who he's been talking about throughout the book, who was like never around. Uh huh. Um, and his mom, yeah. who are their parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom John's mom is the queen, the former queen. So they're half brothers. So they're ha- okay, yeah. okay. Same, yeah, because same he dad. hooked up with her. Yeah. Neither of their dads because is they're the talking. They're like, he was so charming. Like, he visited all the ladies in the castle, right. especially the queen. Yeah. Yeah. So neither of them have, you know, a right to the throne through the patriarchal line. Um, but also, the final message is it actually doesn't matter. And the fool is doing a way better job at governing mm-hmm. than any of the kings that anyone can remember. Yeah. So they end up with like a, a decent leader of like functional government. Yeah. Um, which is what a concept. A lot, a lot for Discworld mm-hmm. as well, where things tend to be very loosey goosey on. A macro level on a micro level they work pretty well like with the thieves guild and governance right. of stealing in Ankh-Morpork. yeah old and new impressions i had not read this book <laughs> i like that you've amended it to i had not read this yeah. book which is more accurate than i have not read because this book. as of um, to, like now i've read this book but exactly not when yeah. i was a, a youth um, yeah. No, I didn't read very much Terry Pratchett uh, or none at all until I was older because I, since my mom was into it and since Grace was into it, I've kind of pegged it as like uh, too grown up for me. Um, three years mm-hmm. is not a lot now, but it seems like a lot when you're, when it's mm-hmm. like a bigger percent of your life. Uh, yeah, for sure. And also I, uh, I definitely need uh, like audiobooks are so helpful for me because I have a lot of trouble focusing on uh, like sustained reading. Um, so I think that it also makes these books more accessible to me uh, because they really like jump around and there's mm-hmm. just so much material there for you to kind of get distracted and lost in. Um, so since the audiobook does the work of keeping going, and I just keep listening, it it really mm-hmm. assists a lot. But I like this yes. book a lot. Um, sorry, go Wait, ahead. can I say one thing really quick? Mm-hmm. On the audiobook note, I think a lot of Pratchett's conversations and jokes are also funnier heard yes. than read on the page. Although there's also a lot of like 
textual humor. Um, like for example, just the look of death's sentences on the Which page I where do he like. speaks in all caps. Yeah. Um, and the fun of the footnotes. So like, I think, I think they're really special, both, um, read in book form and listened to. Yeah. For, for me, it's literally just like an accessibility thing. It's not that I like, no, I know. Like I'm just the, saying, I'm just saying for everyone listening that they have special treats in both formats. Yes. I like seeing all of the little bits of fairy tale mythology from all over mm-hmm. the place that end up in Terry Pratchett's book. Um, and the whole it being like a sort of different reality, uh, I think works really well with the influences we see because it's like, okay, they still experience a lot of what we experience in our reality. It's just reduxed. Like it's different Mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, totally different reality, totally different like building blocks of that reality. Uh, And I like, I like the magic system in general in Terry Pratchett's Mm -hmm. books. I think he does a pretty good job of making it seem cohesive yet uh, very multifaceted. And unknowable at yeah, the same time. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I know I've used the word chaotic a few times, but like Discworld is so chaotic because there is so much loose magic floating around. Yeah. Um, and that's one special thing about the Ram Tops, too, in particular. Mm-hmm. And it is very, like, if you know about, like, chaos magic, like, it mm-hmm. definitely feels like that, like Grace says, because there is so much ambient magic that you can, like, direct to your own purposes. Um, Which also makes me think of Spindle's End by Robin Oh, McKinley. yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. I think Spindle's End vibes for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I think it's very interesting in uh, his universe as well, that we have a very clear delineation between um, like patriarchal magic and mm-hmm. matriarchal magic. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you're the two ends of the gender spectrum that are uh, masculine and feminine mm-hmm. and the, the masculine one, very hierarchical, very white man, very like academic and, mm-hmm. uh, very uh, well researched and laid out, and yeah, to like the the chosen ones that get to go up in mm-hmm. it. Otherwise, it's very gate kept. Um, and then you have the women's magic on the other end that is natural. It is much more. Um, it's much more about relationships and an under it's more intimate. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's and it's more in that sphere of like quote unquote women's magic where it's like mm-hmm. healing focused, uh, but yet like extremely powerful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I like that a lot. It's it's like a cool depiction of magic that makes sense and it's smart too because it gives him so much more to play with because there are like lots of different kinds of magic. Totally. Yeah. And then he's also creating different like social classes within Mm -hmm. those two worlds. And then that creates tension when bumping up against the quote unquote regular people Mm -hmm. who also live in these kingdoms. Mm -hmm. It's it's just ripe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then of course I love all of the witches. Um, 
Granny Weatherwax kind of rubs me the wrong way, but I get that it's like she's doing it her style, you know? You don't like Granny? I love Granny. I Well, I like her. She just sometimes made me a little bit like, well, you could be a little nicer about it, you know? <laughs> Versus like Nanny Og is just like so funny. <laughs> I mean, of course, Nanny is... I mean, she's one of the most charismatic characters in all of Discworld, and there are so many of them. And Um, just an unapologetic good time. Yeah, exactly. And I I adore that. So I think it's not so much that I don't like Granny Weatherwax, it's just that she's my least favorite of the three. Mm -hmm. Um, I get that. Because I also love Magret. Like, how could I not? Mm -hmm. She's, like, obsessed with occult symbolism and ritual magic. (laughs) uh, And And taking care of her hair. Yeah. You guys have a lot of similarities, actually. Yeah. No, I've kindred spirit with Magret, Mm -hmm. like, definitely. Um, And there's definitely a healthy dose of anxiety there as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I really like the core cast of, I mean, I love the weird sisters and then they're mm-hmm. like, I was really excited that death showed up because death is my favorite character in the Terry Pratchett universe. Yes. Um, so yeah, I've, I had good time with this. I was happy that we chose a, a Terry Pratchett book to read, especially one that was witch centric. I love the witch books so much and equal rights is very witch and wizard because it's about a girl being raised to become a wizard which Mm -hmm. is unheard of and granny helping her um so i i do remember getting to this book when i was young and being like yes this is just like so my jam um and like oh my god this book to me as a teen like the combo of witches theater, mm-hmm. Shakespeare, lots of nudges about other fairy tale witches and tie-ins to other works. Like when they're talking about the, they're basically pretending that the witch from every classic fairy tale is the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're talking about like how ridiculous it is that she turned a carriage into a pumpkin. Like, you don't want to show up to the balls smelling like farm. <laughs> um, but then also like, yeah, but you kind of lost it by the end. Like she put that girl in that house. Yeah, and that's there was right. Some, like, rose bushes involved. Yeah. And he <laughs> says there was something about a finger and a prince. And Margaret says she had to finger a prince. <laughs> uh, Great that's good yeah yeah i i hadn't read this book in a while um i do have a beautiful penguin classics edition of it um but i haven't actually read it i've just been keeping it like on the mantle where it's safe that's where it belongs (laughs) this is the problem with beautiful books yeah i I don't want to like muddy them up. So I think rereading it at my current age and for the pod, like with a more critical eye, I was able to, you know, better articulate why it's so appealing to me. I think a big part of it is like we've been saying the real metafictional approach Mm -hmm. that's going on throughout the whole book. Like 
We're talking about the power of words, the impact of written propaganda, mm-hmm. like a lot of talk about the play literally rewriting history. And Granny is saying, like, I don't know why humans like theater. They already have too much history and now they're adding more, but it's not quite right. <laughs> and death, death says something similar when he shows up to the theater. He's like really excited and is like, what is this thing that humans do? They're putting all of their least favorite emotions into a work that they then choose to experience. Mm. So he's like commenting on the nature of tragedy and tragic works, um, which I really love. Uh, And and I get, I never got tragedy and tragic works as far as theater goes either because they just bum me out. I like them. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite Shakespeare is probably Othello, which says something about me. I don't like Shakespeare. Sorry. But, okay. (laughs) It's my time. Grace time. I'm not having you interrupt with how you don't like Shakespeare. (laughs) The witches getting the spell phrasing only half right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that that was pretty good. That was so funny that they keep like kind of substituting and then the ingredients aren't all correct. And they're like, it's close enough, I guess. Um, Just like so, so funny. And of course, this is all wrapped up in a book that is written by an author and presented to us. Mm -hmm. So there's just like so much fun play between those concepts. I also mentioned already how like, I think every Discworld fan has their own opinion about which book like really creates or not creates, but leads into what Discworld would become. I think Mort is really important for that. Yeah. And then this, and Mort was the fourth Discworld book. But to me, Weird Sisters is where like we get into the vibe that is like all I crave and ever want Mm -hmm. from any book, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but that I know I can count on with Discworld where we're having so much fun. There's also like a history altering event taking place and everyone needs to just turn up in the right place at the right time or like things are going to go south. Yeah. And and uh, I just like smiled and laughed so much while reading this. On the satirical level, a true skewering of monarchies, mm-hmm. um, such an obsession with rightful kingship throughout. But we get a king who doesn't actually like the kingdom or want to be the king, but he is the rightful heir, even though he also killed the king. But then he is succeeded by a false king who's going to do a much better job than he was doing. Right. And the act of becoming king made him insane. Yeah. Well, and I like that the whole time they I, barely every anyone ever refers to him as the king, but especially the narrator always calls him the duke, which the I duke, thought was pretty I know. funny. I know. Mm. I loved that. Yeah. Um, I, I just love how you're constantly like having fun with the narrator in Pratchett's books. Yeah. You're really joking around with that narrator. And the narrator gets you in on the joke. It's very engaging. Yeah. It's very they're they're all very active reads. And also like the more you pay attention, the more little references you get mm-hmm. and the more the more you giggle. And like who doesn't need a good giggle yeah. these days? Yeah. I also was thinking a lot 
in a way that I haven't really before. Well, we've talked about and thought about (laughs) together and separately (laughs) how Terry Pratchett writes characters so beautifully, but he also writes women really, really well Mm -hmm. in a way that a lot of male authors don't Don't do a good job of. So much of this book takes place in like a quintessentially female private space Mm -hmm. as well with these conversations and spells that the three witches are putting together. And in Discworld, being a witch and being a woman are synonymous in a really cool way. I think it's connected to, you know, them saying you don't choose to be a witch. Like, Magrat's talking about the fact that her mentor, um, like, came to the village she lived in and, you know, looked at all the kids and was like, yeah, it's that one. Mm -hmm. She's a witch. Yeah. Come on. Let's go. Line them all up. And then there isn't this delineated path like with the wizards where you're going and taking classes and studying from important books. Like you're just going to get out into the world and do your best to not even shape things, but like allow the flow of life to continue in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So I like that. <laughs> and I like the different experience of being a witch that Granny, Nanny, and Macrat all offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that they're allowed to like have romantic relationships and that Nanny has her family who is almost like her own army. Like every time there's a need for like some grunt work or someone to like take care of something, she's like, Oh, my Sean can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Or like, you know, a daughter-in-law like call upon the Oggs. Exactly. (laughs) They're all there. Um, And that she gets to be this really powerful entity who also drinks too much apple brandy and sings her favorite song. The hedgehog can never be buggered at all. (laughs) Has this gnarly old cat that she loves and that is evil. She's such an individual, and really all three of them are. Like, a granny does hew the most closely to, you know, a stereotypical stern elder witch. Mm -hmm. But I really, I think one of the reasons I love her so much is that she doesn't have it all together and know how to do everything, but she has to kind of put on a facade that she does for it to happen, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Fake it till you make it. And also... Exactly. And also to, you know, gain the confidence of the other witches so that they feel good about what they're doing. So she's like the driving force behind them being able to succeed at any of their Mm -hmm. any of their workings. And, you know, I relate to Granny, I guess, in that way. The scene where she's flying her broomstick, the spell required her to fly around the whole kingdom in one night and no one broomstick can do that because they have to be recharged. That they have to like they have to recharge be filled with her magic. broomstick. Yeah. So then the other witches fly up to her and she like jams into them and pulls the power out of their broomsticks yeah. so that she can keep going. The narrators note that Granny 
didn't start flying until later in life, but she took to it well and then expected everyone and everything else to just get out of her way whenever she was on a broomstick. <laughs> and that included mountains. <laughs> it was like, yeah, like screw them. You know, you have a job that you're doing just like I'm trying more and more over time to embody I will not move for you. You're going to move for me because I've moved for way too many people and things in my 35 years of life. So I feel that. So I appreciated that. Yeah. And then Magrat's just like such a sweetie. She's our relatable queen. Yeah. I love Magrat. As as you touched on, you gave her some good. Yeah. You gave her some good love. And then the last thing I want to mention is that I really enjoy as an adult, which I know you hate, are all the Shakespearean illusions. Um, I don't, weird I don't sisters. hate Shakespeare. I just am not part of his hype train. <laughs> I think he's got enough people on the train, so it's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he does not need me. But I do love Shakespeare, and I appreciate being able to reread this book critically and really enjoy the different passages that are cribbed directly from different plays. Weird Sisters, the title is lifted from Macbeth. But then I also thought it was so funny and I hadn't really appreciated this before, how people keep trying to have Macbeth's dagger line like is this a dagger yeah, I see that, before that me? was pretty good <laughs> and every time someone says it the other people around them are like duh it's right in front of you <laughs> like no one will go along <laughs> and allow for the drama and there are a few there's another moment where um Huel is talking to Tom John's dad like the head of the traveling theater and they're talking about him going off on this trip to Lanker to put on the play. And his dad is like, I shan't see him again. And he was like, it's just for the summer, man. Yeah. And he's like, you totally ruined the trauma of the moment. I had just gotten it right. <laughs> it's so good. Even the characters of the book are doing their best to live out like the heroes of their plays. Yeah. Um, and then Hamlet, we have the ghost and the assassinated king and like the constant monarch confusion um and then from king lear we get the exiled king losing his mind with a fool accompanying him (laughs) Um, and the battle speech the like rousing speech Mm -hmm. that in the bar um tom john uses to stop a riot which I really appreciate it. We can talk more about the bars during pretend food. Okay, so we've already covered magic systems pretty thoroughly, Mm -hmm. I'd say, which makes sense because this book is all about magic. Yeah. So let's go to animals, just like animals Animals, in this book. Animals, animals, animals book. King Grebo, as Grebo. I affectionately call him, is so magnificent. Yeah. He is the father of like every cat in the Ram Tops in the same way that Nanny is yep. like the mother or mother-in-law yep. of everyone. Um, they have such a 
I, I always think of Grebo as like the embodiment of the, you know, powerful darker side of Nanny. Like they have such a connection. And I love that throughout the book, Grebo is confused when anyone else like talks to him in an at all nice way. Yeah. Um, and the narrator says, usually everyone referred to him as, oh, we're out of you, you little bastard. <laughs> Um, because he is constantly being bad and I love getting his internal monologue when he and the fool are in the forest and it's like the dark scary part of the forest and it's like Grebo had always thought this was one of the most interesting bits (laughs) he's like sinking his claws in the fool as like to communicate with him amazing he's the inciting incident for the witches like really getting involved in the larger machinations that take place because he gets stuck in a room (laughs) (laughs) nanny is like uh he always comes home like i know he's out there wreaking havoc but he always comes back yeah and i also love the concept that gribo is like um ageless and unknowable (laughs) Yeah, it's like at one point, the narrator describes something that happened in his past decades ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, we can speak from experience, like having known some ageless feeling cats, like the types of cats that are like... Yeah, we'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah. If we just add in that little pinch of fantasy, then we can arrive at a Grebo level cat. Yeah. Um, I think my cat animal could have reached Grebo status if we were in a magical world where yeah. she could be prolonged. Because by the end of her life, like she was very raggedy, but she was still, you know, propelling herself forward. Yeah, she was, she was still hanging in there. Much, much like Grebo. At least Grebo isn't spurting blood out of his ears. That so was pretty tough. <laughs> harder to deal with. Pretty tough. Okay. Um, and any other animals of note? Well, I do want to mention the animals that are spared from the spell. Um, because Magrat's like, we are not going to use newts and toads and all this stuff oh, that this spell yeah. calls for. Mm-hmm. But Nanny and Granny are also like giving each other eyes like, we definitely used to do that. Yeah. Um, so there is that really funny interplay of the humane style of witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> Cruelty free. Is, has now taken hold. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the animals that like as one destroy the duchess at the end of the book yeah i loved the way that section was written too because it felt very ritual Mm -hmm. um the way that they all came together and there's a great line that's like there were no hawks in the sky no wolves howling they had other work to do that night and i'm just like that feels so good yeah. like to come together and destroy, destroy this horrible person. Yeah, because she was comically evil. A very classic um, ants murdering Urukai oh, yeah. around Isengard mm-hmm. sort yeah. of vibe. Like, you mess with nature, it will mess back. Is that a Burt's Bees you're brandishing? Yeah, I am brandishing <laughs> Burt's Just to really drive the point home. I think that does it for animals. So let's get into some pretend food. Pretend food. There's some good food in this book. It's not frequent because there's so much happening, um, which is a common Discworld experience and yeah. also common for Discworld. Most of it is alcohol. 
We're in the, um, just like a general uh, call to action for all of you listening, we're going to do some Babetreon episodes on the actual tasting of pretend foods this summer once I have moved back to my rightful home. And we're trying to track down scumble um, and like the drink that Isn't actually that one inspired that's, it. That's like horrifyingly strong. It's yes, it's used to take varnish off of houses. You just put rubbing um, alcohol and and some green food coloring. Well, there is a particular drink that Carrie braced, based it on, which is. Uh, like old apple cider made by small farms. Um, so it's something that's like hard to replicate. Okay. Anyway, if any of you have ideas about scumble or have had something that <laughs> reminds you of it, let us know. We're going to eat. We're I've, gonna, I've got some, I've got some leads out, but it would be good. We're going to end up having to buy in. like a cask to age it in. Or such. I'm, I'm, not <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Nanny is also the source of a lot of our food. As they're heading to the play, Nanny Og, classic Nanny, brings a bag of walnuts. Um, All I could think about while she's eating walnuts during the play is like, there's probably no more disruptive food that you could bring to a theater. Because you need a literal nutcracker. Yeah, she at one point she like takes one out of her mouth and is like, "I'm gonna have to put this one under my shoe." (laughs) She offers walnuts to the king's ghost, and Uh, he's like, "They'll go right through me." Nanny (laughs) is great, so good. Yeah, and along with her walnuts, she has a leather bottle from which rose a rich, sharp smell. (laughs) That's all we get from that. One of my favorite running jokes in the book was when the traveling theater company is traversing the ram tops trying to get to linker the witches are watching from afar in their crummy crystal ball which is like an old uh, sea glass piece and they see that they keep getting lost or like are about to run into some kind of trouble so the witches take turns showing up as old women just collecting wood (laughs) yeah so that they can keep putting them back on the right path And every time they offer them some food because they're like, oh, this kind of thing, when it happens in a story, like you have to be really nice to the old woman. Mm -hmm. You never know what could happen. They offer it to Granny and she asks what the lunch is and they say salt pork and she says, oh, no, it gives me gas. And they're like, okay. (laughs) All right. They offer it to Magrat. They says they say, "Would you care to share our lunch, old good wood uh, miss?" <laughs> like they keep not knowing what to call them because they're clearly like portraying themselves as old women. Right? But they can't just be like old woman. Yeah. Um, it's only salt pork, I'm afraid. Meat is extremely bad for the digestive system. If you could see inside your colon, you'd be horrified. <laughs> so Magrat responds. Go. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. And then, like, starts to go off on a diatribe about how they should be having seeds instead. But then they make it to Nanny, the final one. And she says, you mentioned salt pork. There wouldn't be any mustard, would there? Um, And they say, no. She says, oh, I can't abide salt pork without condiments, but pass it over anyway. (laughs) And then she eats, like, all of their food. And uh, at the same time, she asks them, what's in what's in that bottle? And 
Tom John says beer at the same time that he was like, water, it's just water. (laughs) Then Manny drinks all the beer too. (laughs) Then when they are doing their spell, there is a note that says, round about the cauldron go, in the poisoned entrails throw. (laughs) Nanny's like, here you go. Jason slaughtered a pig yesterday. And Esme's like, no, these are perfectly good chitterlings. We shouldn't waste them. (laughs) Just commentary on pig entrails. Very enjoyable. Then when Granny is performing her round the kingdom in one night flight, Magrat is tasked with bringing her some sustaining food. So when she comes up and rams her broom into her, she sucks all the power out. Magrat like almost dies because her broom (laughs) can't even get her back down. (laughs) Granny looks in the pack at the food and discovers that Magrat's idea of sustaining food was two rounds of egg and cress sandwiches with the crust cut off. And Granny noticed before the wind whipped it away, a small piece of parsley placed with consideration and care oh. on top of each. It's really cute. Really cute. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it made me want a tea sandwich lovingly prepared by someone. Yeah, I just want tea sandwiches in general now. I guess I we, could try to make some. We had a just a recommendation for anyone out there who might want a tea. I mean, I guess this is more for our American listeners, but we had such a good time for Madeline's birthday years ago. We found a hotel that served a nice afternoon tea service, um, and we had so much fun. Yeah. Just like cute sandwiches, pastries, nice fine tea. china. It was really, really nice. Like, the, And that's a great way to have a good time, I think. If you like don't drink and also aren't interested in like a fancy dinner, you know, like you don't want to go to like a steakhouse or something, Mm -hmm. but it still felt like really special and celebratory. Yeah. So take the children in your life to high tea. This is what I'm saying. (laughs) No, don't, don't take the children. Just leave leave them at home. Go yourself. (laughs) Then I want to touch on The Fun Hat and Various Bars in Ankh-Morpork Pork by Tom John and Huell. They start a brawl. Uh, well, technically, the librarian um, from the university starts the brawl because he's there just trying to drink. And this really racist, rude guy who's being horrible to Huell because he's a dwarf then starts being horrible to the librarian because he's an orangutan. And that's not going to go well for you, yeah, my friend. Orangutan. Orangutans are uh, scary. We respect them. And this is an orangutan who was once a man. Yeah. So he is even smarter and more capable, and he is gigantic. Yeah. Um, And they can't even get a drink there, so then they continue on, and Tom John says... What about a troll tavern? I've heard about them. There's some down in the shades. I'd like to see a troll tavern. Huell says, they're for trolls only, boy. Molten lava to drink and rock music and cheese and chutney flavored pebbles. Rock music. I know. (laughs) Molten lava, rock music, and flavored pebbles. Mm. It's wonderful. 
Um, they do end up at a dwarf bar, which Huel does not want to go to because the dwarves in Ankh-Morpork, when they're like off duty from their regular jobs, just take on very stereotypical dwarf roles. Mm-hmm. So they have, what's the joke name he says? Like uh, Ramble Thunder Guts or something like that and are carrying around axes that they don't actually use. Yeah. And all the tavern songs have lyrics that are just gold, 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 yeah. gold, gold, <laughs> gold, gold. <laughs> they know what they good want. stuff. And that's all the pretend food for now. Some, some bye good bye. pretend food. <laughs> so let's select and rate our badass ladies. And I have a little addendum because she's not my badass lady, but I do want to, I do want to comment on the Duchess quickly. I totally understand her as like a one note villain, but there was stuff happening with her characterization that I feel like we see a lot in a lot of the fantasy that we cover now as adults and in like, you know, a more enlightened age. But I feel like a lot of the ways that she was described physically were like pretty transphobic. Um, She had Mm. a lot of like masculine qualities. They talked about like hair on her chin. That's true. Um, Her height, her general size, like her landing heavily, like kind of fat phobic and transphobic. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like a combination. And that's true. I, I totally get that like that it was a common trope and also Terry Pratchett is also always like poking holes in fantasy tropes and like a uh, the wife of a duke who is very geared toward getting him onto the throne would often be described in this way Terry just like heightens it all and takes it further Mm -hmm. which is where we get into this kind of territory but yeah I just didn't love that so I wanted it's important to to note note it yeah badass lady have you chose or shall i go first no i chose my badass lady is magrat <laughs> because i really enjoy her and like i said i feel and a- you want to kiss a fool no you already do that every day am i right i guess that's true <laughs> i think i'd rather kiss magrat off Honestly, mean jokes about my brother-in-law. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, Hi, Nick. You're, you won't hear he this. He doesn't listen to these. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, my rating for her is a huge collection of occult jewelry with pentacles and pentagrams and skulls and bats and onks and stuff. <laughs> In her house full of mice that she refuses to kill. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And maybe the mice can get some swag too. They can have their own little (laughs) skull bracelet. That would be nice. (laughs) Obligatory alone shout out of the episode. I love the vast divide between the people who have a mouse in their shelter and are like, hey, my new friend. And the people are like, I will kill that mouse (laughs) at all costs, regardless of what it takes. Are you talking about Larry? (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. He yes. But also it. we we're watching season two right now mm-hmm. and there you haven't watched that, right? Uh I think I have actually. That's okay. the first one that Dave's in, right? No. No, I don't think so. Okay. Anyways. 
although I'm always like very loose on their names. Um, there's a guy from Minnesota who presents himself as like very like Midwestern, like sweet and light. And then a mouse gets in his shelter and like every sentence he says from that point on is just one long beep um, because it, it is only swears. And so mad he, at the mouse. He like has a night where he, it's a combo of he like, smashes it stabs it chases oh, it around the I forest have seen this one yeah it's nuts yeah. and then he's just holding the mouse corpse up in front of the Campbell just like gleefully cackling yeah. that he finally killed, he killed it. his enemy it is wild again <laughs> watch alone so yeah Magrav definitely falls into the former camp of just being like oh hey hey buddy hey friend she won't she won't do mouse traps and she doesn't like cats I mean I do have questions about that piece yeah but maybe it's because of Grebo uh, maybe Grebo did something to maybe. her probably yeah. <laughs> probably um okay so you're a badass lady yeah, it's really hard to pick. Um, a part of, uh, I don't know. I think, I think I have to, I have to pick Granny because I do feel that Granny is misunderstood, as I've been saying. I think she has felt that she's needed to kind of give her life over to her work in a way. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily what she wanted, but it's, you know, the role that she has taken on. Um, I appreciate the extent to which she just does not like most people um, and is pretty upfront about that and also like doesn't need a lover or a romantic partner and is like, you know, I'm just kind of going to do my thing. Um, I also love when she resigns herself to the three of them drinking around a fire together which is what <laughs> nanny is trying to make happen for the entire book <laughs> yeah. and the other two keep being like oh we shouldn't get drunk right now yeah. we're like dealing with really important Never stuff touch and trying stuff. to move the entire kingdom 15 years um but then by the end of the book they are just drinking and chilling and yeah. i love that yeah so my rating for Granny, gosh, it's hard to give her a rating too because she doesn't like a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I'm okay. My rating for her is a gorgeous, breakneck, terrifying broomstick course through the ram tops where the mountains will all get out of her way. That's great. Yay! Yay! And that does it for Weird Sisters. Thank you all so much for listening. I know a lot of you have requested more Pratchett and we'll continue covering Discworld books till the sun burns out. So yeah. not to worry. Join uh, us. It's just gonna just gonna take some time in between each one. Our next book, our next episode is going to be us continuing the Queen's Thief series ever so gently and slowly. <laughs> So we will be covering A Conspiracy of Kings by Megan Whalen Turner. Um, and I will say, if you haven't read this series before, I really, really recommend that you check it out. It's like some of the best fantasy that 
we've read um, and we came to it because of the pod because listeners recommended it. Yeah, it's very good. So check it out. You can find us on our website at dragonbabiespodcast.com. We'll put some things in there that we mentioned during the episode as well as both covers. We're on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast and on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. I have an Instagram. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, that's all for today. (laughs) My Instagram handle is pig and doodles. That's P-I-G, the letter N is a Nancy, D-O-O-D-L-E-S. Join me for pig and doodles. And we'll see y'all soon. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. Until next time. Bye.